This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, brought to you by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. Orbition Group is delighted to bring this podcast series, which boasts some of the most high-profile data, analytics, and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Each episode details the journey to the top of our industry's most respected leadership figures, while bringing unique insights drawn from first-hand experience on the industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, experiences, and ideas to inspire, innovate, and give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast. Uh, today, I'm delighted to be joined by Simon Hayter, who is the partner and group head of data at Knight Frank. So, Simon, thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. Um, so, where we always start, Simon, is, um, I guess, asking our guests to introduce themselves in a, a brief uh, intro on you know your background and, I guess, journey to date, if that's okay. Sure. Um, kind of interesting where, where to start. I suppose I fell into data just because I was young and had no direction. And it was probably the first job <laughs> I got when I moved into, into London um, before it was like the, the cool thing that it is today. Um, really kind of just being, uh, I guess, the standard reporting jockey for, for, for a team I worked for, for a travel company. Um, and it was really there where I learned more about data structure in those the old days of Microsoft Access. But it kind of gave you a grounding as to how data was structured, how you do reports, getting advanced on Excel. And then I kind of spent a lot of time within various retail companies, really where I, I'd be like the only analyst, but dedicated to a sales function or more of an operational facing function. Uh, and when you look back, it really gives you the insight of how salespeople think or how the business works and it wasn't from a you know i'd be like the only techie person in the team yeah. rather than being one of many technical people so you, you learn really quickly how how that okay business facing language works um and how to convert stuff uh, and have that kind of communication and then as my career progressed i then moved to countrywide uh, where i was there for about eight years um started off i guess as the one of the few kind of analysts started from the lettings business. And, and there I just happened to report into the, the finance director um, at the time. Because again, this was before data. Data was a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my so my remit was people did the budget on one side and then you had stats and reporting on the other side and they didn't really meet. My, my first thing was, how do you bring the two together? So how do you bring finance data and real-life KPIs and, and join the two? So over time, we kind of built a team around it and we were responsible for all of the budgeting, forecasting. Effectively, I was kind of head of FP&A is what it would be called now. Uh, and we were also in charge of all the stats and, and the KPIs that went out and we'd build models that would join it all together. So you actually predicted your statistics or your KPIs and then your budget would be built around, around that. So that really gave me a grounding as to how we we use data to forecast and, and budget and kind of bring reality and, and, and finance together. And really, I suppose our team was, in the face of finance is probably a, a, an unfair thing to say, but we were the ones that really had that kind of key relationship. Um, and we had analysts embedded in, in the different different regions. Um, however, having said that, because it was in finance and I was never a qualified accountant, it was, well, where does my career go? I was effectively doing a, a job that was, you know, seemed qualified, but I, I didn't have the qualification. 
I didn't really have the the desire to to study for it either. Um, and fortunately, I had really supportive um, management structure there, and I, I was fortunate enough to be sponsored on an MBA, which radically kind of transformed the way I thought about stuff, enabled a much more kind of strategic thought process, uh, exposed me to a load of other ways of thinking. And then just as it was ending, the kind of whole data thing blew up, which enabled kind of head of analytics and heads of data roles to kind of popping up, which I, I suppose I naturally just kind of fitted into. Um, I then moved industries to go into, into banking, which again was really interesting to expose me on, I suppose, a more rigorous way of doing things just because financial services have to be more compliant, um, especially with the legal side. Uh, and then... And actually, I was quite happy when I was at Chris Brothers. It was, um, it was a good company to work for, but an opportunity appeared at Knight Frank, really kind of landed across my desk, and I really missed the property industry. And it was a really exciting role where, effectively, I was starting from a, a blank piece of paper, and, and, and I joined Knight Frank two and a half years ago. And um, I guess it's just the data functions growing rapidly, so yeah. It's been, nice. It's been a good journey so far. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I find it, um, I find it fascinating how, um, you know, how many data leadership figures now, especially if you look around the thing like the IQ 100, which obviously you're a part of, um, if I go through them and some of the, you know, other communities and events that I do, for example, and you look at, um, where those people come from, and I'm sure we're going to touch on this later, right? But about, you know, data wasn't a thing back then that you could study. So they, they all typically come from, you know, marketing or finance or come up through a different route other than often kind of technology per se. Um, and, you know, we've got that whole debate now about, you know, data isn't IT and, and all that kind of stuff that's going on. So um, really interesting overview. So, so thanks for that. So I guess, obviously, Knight Frank, fairly sizable business just give us a bit of kind of insight into you know night frank who they are what they do and i guess where you fit into that um you know in terms of the organization and i guess what you're tasked with um achieving sure sure so, so i think night frank um on the global stage it's it's the largest property company as a partnership um i think that's what makes us unique um is that we're one of the few kind of big partnerships um now and, and we're not a plc and i think the one of the benefits of that is because it's owned by the partnership, it, it's a really collaborative business. So it's very supportive. It's very kind of entrepreneurial, both external and, and internal. Uh, and you're really encouraged to come up with your own ideas and and, and, and deliver deliver the, the visions that, that you have. Um, really how what it works is we pretty much touch every part of, of the property industry. Obviously, we do residential and I suppose most people would know the the estate agency letting side because obviously that's what would be the in, in people's faces on a, on a b2c part of things that's that's probably where most people have known but we've got a huge commercial division as well um which again just touches everything that's that's not residential so um capital markets logistics um industrial hotels care homes anything uh, and we've got a really good um uh, consultancy wing as well where we'll, we'll work with a number of developers and, and government agencies and stuff and and we've also got a really strong research function which is actually where i originated from when, when i joined night frank uh, and it's where the research functions are where all of, a lot of the data analysis uh, and the thought leadership really comes out of uh, and which really drives a lot of the publications that we well standard publications and also really drives our the part on the website that we call the intelligence lab where we'll do lots of podcasts um blogs uh so 
So that's really probably a, a very quick summary of, of what Night Fang does. I'm sure it doesn't give justice in the 30 second. No, no, <laughs> that's, I just gave. <laughs> no, that's fine. So, um, yeah, appreciate that. So, look, I'm, I'm really excited to kind of get into the the meat of this topic. And I know, obviously, you and I have spoke offline about about this um, to kind of, you know, obviously facilitate the the, the podcast recording. But um, I guess there's there's been an awful lot of talk around you know, some of the issues that we face as an industry and, you know, I guess the expectations that businesses have of the people in our industry and, you know, the maybe how academia might be, you know, for not wanting to put words in your mouth, but, um, you know, maybe setting them up for failure a little bit and, and things like that. Um, and had a number of people on the podcast over the last few weeks that have kind of touched on that, you know, but talking about, other topics, but I guess, um, you know, I feel that you've got a, a little bit of a, a unique kind of perspective on this really. So I'm kind of looking forward to it, but I guess, um, you know, is that good or, is that good or bad? No, I mean, that's, that's great. No, that, that's great. We're, we're always after, um, a bit of controversy on, on the podcast. I'm no, just joking, but, um, look, so I guess where we're at now, as you'll very well know, Every organization in the world is, you know, they're either looking to start doing something with data if they've not already been doing so, or they're, you know, in the midst of looking at how they can do more with what they've got to drive, you know, business value and outcomes and decisions and all that type of stuff. And I guess a whole host of buzzwords, right? You know, data driven, data enabled, data, data this, data that. I guess in your eyes, you know, being the the group head of data across that entire portfolio of business that you've got in a partnership model, um, what what does that mean for you and, and the business to be kind of data driven? Some of the phrase I like, to be honest. Uh, I'm not a big <laughs> fan of what do you mean by data? I mean, it kind of maybe it sounds counterintuitive, but I, I don't really like using the word data which may sound a bit strange being a group head of data but but for me no company should be data driven you must have a strategy that's ultimately got to be your customer or client driven Uh, where do you want your company to go how do you want to do you want to increase your customer base do you want to keep your customer base do you want to improve the service you're giving your customers For, for me it's all about the the customer and the client that's got to be like the center of any any kind of strategy that that any business has, um, because without customers, you have no business. Uh, and really what data should be is an enabler. It shouldn't be a driver. Uh, I, I'm not a particular big fan of looking at it from that angle, thinking everything has to be data-driven, because the reality is, especially in many organizations that are just starting up, well, you just don't have the data in the first place. So are you really going to make a decision on limited data that you already have? What, what are you actually trying to do? Um, are you trying to, and let's just, let's just make it up. Let's just say you want to go into a new market. Okay. Have you got the data for that new market? No. Okay. So how are you going to make a data-driven decision based on the fact that you've got no, no data? So mm-hmm. what data do you need? So actually, well, let's start the strategy of going out and getting the data in the first place yeah. and understanding where the gaps are, et cetera, et cetera. So, so for me, data really should be an enabler in the same way that technology should be an enabler. You know, does would you have, would a company ever say that they're tech driven? Um, what's your PowerPoint strategy? What's your Excel strategy? It's kind of a bit of a nonsense, isn't it? Yeah. So, so you know, what's your legal strategy? It's kind of oh, surely they're all these are all the, these are all the enablers to help drive where the business wants to go. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely am not a, I'm not really a fan of of anyone saying their company is data driven. No, 
Um, and kind of glad that you you touched on that, I guess, because um, you know I think we're we're getting to that point now, right? Where um, and, I, and I've kind of I, I use this term quite a lot, but I feel like there's a bit of an obligation around our industry, like we should be doing <laughs> things with data because you know there's so much talk and everyone else seems to be doing so well with it that you know all of a sudden you know especially businesses that are on the start of that journey, I feel they fall into the trap of well you know the business across the road and our main competitor down the street they're both do, you know they're doing great stuff with data so we need to be able to and they jump head first into right well let's look at the data and try and pull opportunities or problems out of the data when exactly what you said in fact yeah. should be you know what's the business strategy what what do we want to achieve and you know we we kind of need to fa- get the data that helps us to make those decisions better faster quicker whatever the case may be right but i feel that a lot of businesses are jumping in and falling into that trap of um you know well we need to be doing stuff with data so let's just go and f- try and find an opportunity within the data um so kind of working backwards almost i guess so. yeah no no I, I definitely think so i definitely think it should be pull rather than push yeah. um now don't get me wrong there still needs to be some stuff such as you know, people don't know what they don't know. So, so they're really is getting that balance right of saying, you know, because obviously I have conversations with a lot of the, the senior execs and it's kind of like, well, what can you do for us? And it's like, okay, well, let's have some ideas such as can we can we create customer retention models or or things like that, stuff that the people they don't don't know that capability exists, or they think that capability is is for the likes of Google or Amazon. So I think people are very kind of quick to put let's call it the, the big techs, um, on a pedestal, uh, where actually a lot of what they do is complicated if you don't understand it, but in the realms of data, some of the stuff is quite simple algorithms. Uh, and actually that a lot of companies do have this capability. It just might be stuck in a corner of that company and it's not necessarily surfaced and it's not being pointed in the right place. So it's really, especially when you kind of go into a big organisation, it's understanding where all the different skill sets and how do you leverage that skill sets to really make sure that they are working towards that ultimate ultimate company goal? I'm trying not to be too kind of cheesy and saying all those buzzwords, but <laughs> yeah, no. But, but I, I think you're right. I think people often say, "Oh, you know, the competitor down the road is doing a better job than us." And I think a lot of it is probably more the grass is always greener. What the fact that you know a number of the guests you already have and the conversations you must have on a daily basis you probably find that most people are in the same boat, but they think that everyone else is doing it better than them. Mm-hmm. But actually everyone's pretty much in, in the same the same boat. Um, yeah. And com- companies are very good about internally bashing themselves to think that they're <laughs> not doing a good enough, a good enough job. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really understanding that many companies are in the same place, especially companies that have a long tradition when they try and compare themselves to say the, the late, you know, the companies that are less than 20 years old have built themselves on a digital platform. So the whole company is ultimately built on built on data. Yeah. Whereas companies that have been around for, for many years, it was just never part of their infrastructure or their DNA or anything else like that. So it's very, it's very, very different approach to, to take. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more, I guess. Um, you know, it's it's funny. And I guess what, what I find by having the conversations and doing the podcast, irrespective of topic is that um you know everyone is every organization has kind of got very similar challenges they're often just on a different size and scale so the topics that we're speaking about are absolutely applicable you know to pretty much every business but you know some just more so than others some at a bigger scale lesser scale whatever the case may be and i think there's there's certainly something in this fact you know if you if you look at 
from the outside looking in on certain businesses and certain brands. And I find that typically the bigger the brand, the more you kind of have this kind of haziness on what you think that that looks like and how it works internally. And then you speak to people, you know, you kind of, the perception might be, well, you know, it must be really slick in there because look at the brand, they've got all this money, they've got all this resource and so on and so forth. And then you speak to someone and, you know, they've got the same the same problem that the business down the road has that's half the size, um, sometimes an even bigger problem and it's not as slick as you, you think it is, you know. So it's really interesting. Yeah. And it's all relative, isn't it? Because however far you are down the road, because actually, you know, we've got quite quite far already where, where we are, but you always want more and more and more. So it's always an evolution. Uh, and I think you'd never ever, you should never ever think you've got the finished product because the way that technology is just rapidly advancing, the way new skill sets are kind of rapidly advancing, I suppose not new skill sets, that's the wrong word, the way skill sets are merging yeah. is probably the better way of saying it. The way people are now becoming, you know, it's no longer the days of someone's a technical guy, someone's yeah. a sales guy, someone's a marketing guy. Well, actually, you can have brilliant marketeers who are brilliant coders. Um and it's kind of now I think it's becoming much more gray and, and then diagram as opposed to putting people in, in boxes as it would have been well, even 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and I think definitely the lines are being blurred, uh, especially with the, with the younger generation, you know, where coding is just a normal second language to them. Yeah. Um, people just learning Python and R for fun um, <laughs> and just doing it as part of the day job, regardless of what job they're doing. Um, yeah. They can just show how they can bring automation into their lives. Um, yeah. joining companies saying why do you do it this way no, we've always done it this way it's like well we can just do this quick you know i just create my own macro regardless of whether they were officially a data role or a tech role they're just they're just doing it um and i think it really that's what's really kind of changing the the balance of what skill sets do we need now and what traditional skill sets really are traditional um yeah. uh, and shouldn't really be used moving forward i think is a uh, it's going to be an interesting debate. No doubt you must see that in, in the recruiting world. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't get me started. This podcast could go on for about six hours, Simon, if you get <laughs> me on that train. So, um, but look, leads us nicely into, I guess, the, the bulk of what we're going to speak about here, hopefully. So, um, you know, as we've discussed, every business now is looking to do more with data, regardless of where they're mm-hmm. at with that that journey. Obviously, yeah. every every business at some point starts somewhere and usually has someone that comes in to kind of take the lead on that. Um, I guess mm-hmm. uh, a highly debatable topic and obviously I, I have my views, but I'd love yours. You know, is is the role mm-hmm. of the data leader, first of all, what's the purpose and is there a need for that person to be kind of technical uh, or technically inclined? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting question. Um and I think probably where to start with, which again, won't actually answer the question, is what do you mean by data? And if you ask 100 people what data means to them, you're going to get 100 different answers. And I'm kind of sidestepping the question, so I won't. I'll come back to it and answer it properly. Um, but but I think that is the key thing, is, is what do you actually mean by data? And what does the company mean by data? Because that's the most important thing for me, because it's a relatively new concept. Uh, and other functions such as I don't know, HR, tax, risk, legal, they're very defined and they've been around for a very long time. Everybody kind of understands what it what it means. And it might be slightly different for, for across different companies, but the core essence will always be pretty fundamental wherever you go. Whereas, whereas data is new. And I think the way that we might run data in LifeLink might be very different to how other people run data. Uh, so I think the first thing before it, should that person be technical or not technical is what do you want 
from your data function. So I guess in Nightfang, what we've recently done is we've now got an official like data office that sits on the ops board alongside technology. So it's data, tech, Marcoms, HR, uh, et cetera. So we've, we've made that really defined um, as a function, not as it's part of IT or it's part mm-hmm. of marketing or it's just sporadically spread, federated everywhere. Uh, we, we were in, but what we what we looked at is my view is let's look at data as money. So if you're a bank and we're talking old style banking with physical physical cash, um, you've got to store the money somewhere. So you've got all this money. Where do you physically store it? How do you know that data that you stored is legal and that it hasn't been obtained via illegal methods? What's, what's the quality uh, and, and the money? You know, if you say you've got a million pound in your safe, have you got a million pound in your safe? Are you counting it? And how are you going to invest all that money? So if you look at data as money, they're all very different functions. And no bank would have one person owning the building of the safe, the legality to make sure it hasn't been done by fraud, the, the physical counting and the reporting of the money and the investment strategy to invest, they're, they're all very different functions. So if you take data as being money in that sense, why would you have one person looking at everything? And I kind of think that's often where there's a lot of confusion and people have different views as to where it will be. So 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 many companies and many maybe data leaders will say, right, I want to be in charge of the storage and the compliance side. And that's fine. You can you can do that. That's, that's no problem. Others might be well. Actually, I'm more about the investment side. How do I do the visualization, the clever stuff of data? And again, that, that's 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 fine. Uh, and what really where I kind of sit is well, from my view is if we're talking about data storage, well, that's got to sit with with IT because that's your storage. That's that's your safe. That's what you're building to make sure it's physically there. You know. So where is your data being held at rest effectively? Um, and then you've got your compliance and your your data protection officers, and you know, are you following GDPR laws as well? Uh, and for me, well, that's got to be a legal thing. And I'm quite quite keen to stress with my own personal view is whoever owns kind of analytics and what you're doing with the data shouldn't own the compliance of the data because that way you're marking your own homework. Because you could say, oh, okay, that's fine. I'll just over. You, you could either go one of two ways. You could either be too risk averse and do nothing with the data and say it's too risky. I'll do nothing. Or you could be the complete opposite and say, I'll just do what I like and I'll override all the compliance because I'm also in charge of compliance. So I'll just tick it off and do stuff. It's a little bit like the many companies won't have their internal auditors reporting to the CFO or the finance director for yeah. that very reason. You know, yeah. you shouldn't sign off your own accounts. That's the whole point of having having finance internal auditors so that and bringing external auditors in to make sure that what you're saying on your accounts is is legitimate. Uh, and I think data should be treated in, in the same way. So going to your view of whether you think it should be technical or, or not technical, I think it really depends on what does the company want to do with the data. That would really drive, do you need a technical background or do you not? My, my personal preference, I take data much more from a strategic point of view. I mean, obviously I'm coding is terrible Actually, my mathematics is pretty bad as well but i but i do understand data structure so i suppose if you wanted to say where my biggest technical strength in would definitely be in architecture um data structure data architecture technical architecture i, I get all of that really really well and i can dig down into all of that uh, and work pretty closely with architects about designing how, how it should all work um but really i think where my my strength is is understanding that end point, what does the business want and how do we get there? Mm-hmm. And then I would need very technical people in the team to actually make that make that happen. Yeah. And that makes perfect think, sense. Yeah. So I, I kind of think one way I describe it is it's been a bit like a well, I just, it's a bit like a GP. 
So I know enough about everything without being a specialist. So if we're talking about different data projects, it's like, okay, well, that's a data science project, right? We need to talk to our data scientists for that. And they'll they'll understand what's needed. Right, okay, well, this is more of an architecture problem. Okay, well, we'll bring in our, our technical architects and our BI architects and, you know, is this a data engineering skill set? So I know, I would know what's needed across the entire end-to-end data journey without necessarily knowing everything about the detail underneath. Yeah. And I, I think personally, the the businesses that tend to get this right you know this whole data thing and as you mentioned it's quite big but the the businesses that tend to be able to be you know using data more effectively to drive business value very much do that you know they try to centralize that function so it's an equivalent or an equal to finance and marketing and hr and all the other kind of key board you know um leadership figures and, and functions and ultimately you know my view is that the the leadership figures as far as data goes in terms of you know owning that data and using that data to drive business value is more of a commercial role than it is a technical role you know it's it's a business facing role and ultimately you'll have people within that team that need to you know be able to do the technical stuff for you but it's impossible as you said because it is so broad you can't expect you Simon to be able to do all of that yourself right um but ironically what you do find is that there are organizations that, that kind of when they go on that journey they look for that one person that um you know that they'll call it something and it's usually yeah. for whatever reason you know data science that's a cool thing to do right so it's so they'll go hire a data scientist yeah. or a head of data science but actually they need them to do everything um and often that yeah doesn't work. I think that's yeah that's that's always a danger because nobody can do everything. To say it's a, it's a similar thing, even within the data industry, it's very inward looking. Um, and I've often experienced that everyone talks about the challenges that data leaders or data roles might face, as if they're new. But they're no different to any other function. You know, you speak to marketing directors or heads of marketing or CMOs, whatever. You know, it's the same equivalent of HR. You know, they still need to communicate the vision to the business. They still need to understand what the business needs. If they need extra funding, they need to still go to the, you know, pitch for budgets like everybody else. It's, it's there's very few challenges that I see in the data world that isn't the same as what every other function would have. But the data world seems very good at internalizing it and making it a data problem and, and and I don't think it is. I think it's just a standard problem that all roles would have. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um so I guess then moving into that whole piece then, you know, and I guess obviously when you landed in a greenfield environment, it was a case of right, we need to build out these capabilities of, you know, within the realms of my ownership, uh, I guess, and, and the function. So Obviously, there's a lot of debate at the moment around, you know, the people that we hire, analysts, engineers, mm-hmm. scientists, whatever the case may be, but that whole debate about them being more commercially mm-hmm. focused um, yeah. or, you know, at least be kind of at least appreciate the commerciality a little bit more because I guess, you know, we're in this space now where, you know, maybe a lot of businesses have, have hired very technical people and there's been some failure on, you know, the softer skills where, you know, the, the communication and the storytelling to obtain buy-in and stuff like that. And I know obviously you've got quite a particular view on that so so what, what's your what's your thoughts on that and then we can kind of delve from there yeah i guess it's it's, it's kind of said when i joined like frank it wasn't like i was the only person here we actually i was fortunate enough that there was many talented data people already yep. within within night frank it was more just kind of bringing them together and making it a kind of a data function um so but it kind of, but it's it's also just like you kind of mentioned about companies wanting data leaders to be all things to all people to do everything 
it's even worse, I think, that people expect all the way kind of in the whole data kind of structure for everybody to to do that. Um, and it, it always has kind of amazed me that, say, you know, someone's almost just coming out of university, they need to be technically brilliant and have brilliant soft skills in, in a data role. And why would you? If, if somebody had just completed a marketing degree and just joined marketing in their first role, would you expect them to go to the group board and start presenting to everybody? It's just you wouldn't you wouldn't do it. Um, but there seems to be this perception that all data roles have to be all things to all people all the time. Um, and it, and there's nothing wrong with having people who don't have any soft skills. If as long as you have got people in the team who have got soft skills, and it's just understanding where people's strengths are, because there's no point bringing someone in who's got amazing communication who physically can't technically do the role. Yeah. It's just as bad as having someone who's who you need to be, have the soft skills who's technically brilliant and can't can't tell the story either. Um, so, so it's really understanding what is the role you want them to do and can you support them to do it? Because if you're looking for someone who can do everything immediately, then it's the same issue. You're always going to fail. And I think it's a case of, is this role you're recruiting for purely going to be doing a very, very technical role because you absolutely need this technical functionality and technical capability. Because without this technical capability, it doesn't matter. You won't be able to do anything anyway. You won't even have anything, anything built. Who then in the team is going to go out and have those conversations and who's going to visualize it and who's going to present? It, I think it's a very dangerous route to say someone who can do brilliant ETL, BA architecture, structured data warehouse can also do visualizations, different skills. It's, you know, people building web architecture aren't necessarily the same people doing the, the pictures, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's a team effort. It's 100% team effort. And um, you should talk about the balance of skills within the team rather than the balance of skills of individuals. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think um, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. That's often where the problem lies. So I'm, I've been quite vocal over the last, um, you know, few months around. We're at this point where, especially businesses that are on the start of that journey, they almost want to prove the value and prove that it works before they want to invest. So then, what happens mm -hmm. is, you know, data science is the prime example because it's the it's the cool thing to have, right? You know, if you've got a data scientist, that's that's cool. That's seen as cool. So what happens is they go out they they bring in a you know junior to mid-level data scientist um and they expect them to be just that all things to all people so not just the soft skills and the storytelling the communication and the influencing of stakeholders and blah 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 but also yeah. you know obviously yes building models as far as data science goes but then also they need them to do a bit of engineering because you know they need them to go and find the data clean the data yeah. prep the data move it and it's like these people don't exist and and then you wonder why when it doesn't work you know you're scratching your head and it's but it's so obvious um no, so and, and you wouldn't yeah sorry i interrupted but you wouldn't do that for legal, would you? We want to set up a legal function. So we'll get someone who's just qualified as a lawyer to head up our legal function uh, and make <laughs> yeah. sure that we're completely compliant across the business. You just, you, just, you just wouldn't do it. But at the same time, you wouldn't apply for that role if you, just, if you were at that level of your career. And I think that's the danger. There, there's, there's, um, because data's new and because it's kind of been hyped up so much, I think it's given people 
you know, at different stages, maybe too early in their career, that they're ready for that step up. Yeah. And I think that's the danger. I think, um, and I guess it's just because the data industry is, is still learning because it's still relatively new, but you wouldn't get that in any other function. You wouldn't have someone who's newly qualified accountant applying for a financial director role. Yeah. Yeah. Then it's like crazy, but you, you just <laughs> just wouldn't have that, and, and neither would you employ someone who's just qualified, newly qualified accountant in a finance director role. But there there seems to be this kind of perception that you can recruit someone who's got a few years technical experience on their CV, and the exception that I'm sure you know, well in your role, you might have people kind of applying for roles that you're just looking at them and saying you you know you're five to ten years away from this. Yeah, yeah, there is. There's certainly, you know, and I guess this is being, you know, the, the the subtopic of the of the conversation, right? It's what's causing these problems within our industry. Is it the expectations, or or is it kind of the the process by which we get to industry through kind of academia? Because I've had a few conversations recently um, where people have kind of mentioned. I know that you have been a kind of an advocate of this around putting kind of data related topics into normal you know traditional mm-hmm. degrees as opposed yeah. to having and and because we've got this obsession now with someone needs to have a phd you know i see adverts all the time you need you're looking mm-hmm. for a they're looking for a, a a director of data and analytics or mm-hmm. the chief data officer and this person is expected to have a phd in data science and still be able to build machine learning models and it's like that that role is a strategic role i you know i'm not mm-hmm. and I, I often to be honest i kind of sometimes get a bit of a flack for saying well you know your kind of phds are important and i'm like you know no you're misinterpreting what i'm saying i'm not saying that they're not <laughs> useful or you know they're, they're certainly not going to hinder you of course but it's not it's not 100 necessary to have this thing so i guess on the topic of academia then because i think a lot yeah. of it stems from that you know the, the 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 content of the courses are normally just purely technical you know they're building yeah. models that need to be 100 accurate with perfectly clean data and they've got six weeks to do it and that's the you know so far away from the reality of the real world um what's what, what's your perception on on a kind of how academia might be kind of fueling this this problem to a certain extent yeah so so i'm not a fan to be honest of of the way data I'm not a fan of data courses actually I'll be I'll be straight out about that yeah. so I guess in terms of your PhD actually I think that's that can be useful when you're talking about data science roles and what I mean by that is again if you talk to 100 people what data science means you're going to get 100 <laughs> different different reasons uh, and I think and I don't really want to kind of make this podcast about what data science is but I think it goes back to that same point I made earlier such as what do you want from data and sending what do you want from data science? And, and I think you just need to be very clear that in what, what we've created here is we kind of have, we have data engineering and when we're talking about data science, we, what we're really talking about is mathematical modeling. That's what we're really talking about. Um, and if you haven't got that absolute advanced mathematics skill set, it doesn't matter how good your coding is or how good you are at Python. If you really don't understand the mathematical concepts, then then that's not data science for, for Knight Frank. Um, and then we have insight analysts and we have BI architects. And, and here's the key thing. None of them are more important than anyone else. They're all equal, equal skill sets. Mm. Um, and there used to be a bit, it's kind of died down a little bit now, but there always used to be, oh, if you're an analyst, you could step up to data science, which yeah. is always kind of, always wind me up. Um, I kind of kind of go, going off track. But yes, we're talking about, but when we're talking about, say, PhDs, if you've got a PhD in, 
physics or real estate or neuroscience or astrophysics, kind of something where you've used statistical analysis and hypothesis testing using data is actually really valuable to take that into the workplace. I think where I've got a real, I suppose, issue isn't probably the right word, I'm not that, but it's kind of what I don't really like is it's probably more at the master's level of data courses, because I think that is just too top level. I don't really understand what they're trying to teach. Um, and I think what the what the challenges are, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Really, they're just kind of doing Python courses um, with a little bit of visualization in and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, trying to be all things to all people. So nobody's getting an in-depth of anything. I'd, I'd much rather you just do a full year in-depth of one thing yeah. rather than you do a module for six weeks on Python, you do a module on six weeks on Tableau, you do a module of six weeks on logistical regression, you do a module of six weeks on this, and then boom, at the end, you are qualified in very big inverted yeah. commas data professional um and all and those things go on the cv yeah. right you know so yeah uh, terrible yeah. experience uh, and it's you know yes. done yeah yeah a masters and um, they spent six weeks doing it yeah and, and i think that's what i don't really like how the courses are run i i, I would much rather see and I've, I've had some conversations with other universities about it but it's you know if someone's doing a degree in engineering how do you bring data visualization into that? If someone's doing a degree in marketing, how do you bring analytics into that? If someone's doing a degree in anything, yes, I'd much rather bring data literacy into, let's call them tra traditional subjects um, than have standalone data subjects. One, because even within the data world of you know, ourselves, you ask different people what data means, you're going to get different answers. So who who came up with this academic course? Because nobody can agree what actually data means. So so therefore, who's the one who's kind of coming up with it and saying this is what data means in the real world? People are kind of signing up and paying huge amounts of money, and that's that's the key thing. They're spending a huge amount of money on this course. They're then graduating, and as you just said, they get a real shock when they when they enter the system to say, you know, you're not going to be doing the same thing as someone who's been doing this in real life for ten years. It's just yeah it's um and it's, it's a more just not it's just i don't know i guess i feel quite passionately that a lot of young people are making these decisions so early and i'm not really sure who's given them that advice mm -hmm. yeah and, does... and i'm sure none of them are listening to this podcast because you know they're all <laughs> going to be old like us Carl. <laughs> <laughs> well it's but it, it, i mean you're exactly right because it's it's one of these things where you know who who's making these decisions you know it's it almost does seem like there's an opportunity it doesn't matter what it is you know data is just the the next thing right you know there's the next emerging trending job that and therefore there's now a course of study for it and there'll be something else after it and something else after that and so on and so forth but it's like where do the where do we get to this end point of you know where, where are these coming from who decides what's being taught at this because you know everyone I speak to are kind of saying, well, all they're doing is focusing on teaching them a bit of coding and a little bit of this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, actually, and I think this is the, often the problem, especially when people find themselves in that instance where they might be part of a very small team, you know, yes, they've had, you know, X amount of, you know, six weeks at university to, to build a model with perfect data. And, you know, the reality is they get into industry and they need, you know, their, their boss needs something mm -hmm. yesterday and, you know, 
10% better than it was yesterday will do. And it's just such a shock to yeah. the system. And even, you know, at the PhD level, I completely agree with you that those skills are, are, are very valuable. Um, but obviously the PhD in academia is almost, you know, is that it exists to push yeah. the boundaries of possibilities, right? Where And in yeah. the real world, we're kind of not ready for that. You know, <laughs> businesses don't know where the data is, never mind what's the next best thing. So well, we're, we're kind of in this no. bubble. So... Yeah. You're absolutely right. No, you're absolutely right. It's kind of, if it's better than the gut decision, it's almost good enough. Yeah. Um, if it's if it's better than a 50-50 choice, it, 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 and, I, and, and I think that is a shock to the system of many PhDs because you're right, it might not, and even within, you know, you might have brilliant data, but you can take as long as you like. What's, what's the worst that could happen if you push your dissertation back by a year? But you're right, in the real world, you know, we have got four weeks to turn this around. Um, and and perfect there's nothing that's ever going to be perfect there's no such thing as perfection the interesting thing i found actually with some some phds is the lack of data actually available in certain subjects and when they come in especially here, like, wow you've got tons of data we love it which is um interesting yeah. um but no i agree i think um the shift from academia to i guess the working world is uh can be a big shock to, to the system and i think it's slightly different in for PhDs, it's more the I suppose it's more the generic masters or the even bachelors of data courses, which yeah, it, it's much better to have someone who's done geography to say, well, what's going to happen in this country? Go get the data sources to find it. How did you source that data? How did you come to your conclusion? How did you analyze this data? What here's your problem, here's your geographical problem, and here's what your answer is, and this is the method you did to get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's infinitely better than saying here's a data source and here's Python code and here's how we'll build a logistical regression model in Python. I, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think, you, you know, in that instance that you just described, we're almost putting data into every single subject without really kind of talking about yeah. it. Right. You know, it's kind mm -hmm. of like, this should just be part of the process that you use to kind of come to a solution of a problem. And it's, as, it's as kind of simple as that. And there's kind of no, nothing more or, or, or less to it really. So I guess to, to start rounding off then, Simon, you know, in terms of where we are at with this type of stuff, do, do you think that the, the, you know, the problem lies in the expectations of these organizations as they start to go on that journey? Um, or is it, you know, that the, the university and the academia that's creating these people is kind of fueling those expectations or, or which way around is it you know is, is have you kind of managed to put your finger on on that yeah yeah i mean it's probably and i'll probably go out on a limb here but <laughs> it, it, it it's the consultancies that have made a big issue out of it years ago so academia didn't create it academia have seen a need and started creating courses around it you can't really blame them for that um i don't think they're really hyping it up per se it's it's definitely some of the big consultancies, you know, data science is the sexiest job in the 20th, 21st century. Yeah. Um, everybody needs a data-driven strategy. Here's your white paper, et cetera. And that's really kind of pushing it and fueling it. And I think um, they probably start, you know, data's the big oil. You know, all of these kind of came from big, some of the big, big consultancies and kind of really pushing out and really pushing the agenda. They got people very excited, but nobody knew where to start. So they would start in, you sit in IT, you deal with data, therefore you own data, right? Whereas I'll put in strategy and sit next to the sales director and have a strategic view in the same way. Um, so, so I think it probably was born probably in the consultancy world and people kind of 
marketing it up. It certainly wasn't data or techie people that created the marketing around it. Um, that then probably started fueling people's expectations. And then, again, it goes back to the grass is always greener. Oh, our competitors are doing really cool stuff with data. We need to. We don't know where to start, so we'll start somewhere. So I don't think it's anyone's particular fault. But I think academia jumped on bandwagon, for, for want of a better word. And I think as you're finding out, you know, you're getting now graduates leaving, thinking they're going to walk into senior positions. But you wouldn't have that in any other function. Um, uh, and... I, I kind of do think that's what's probably is needed. Um, but there does seem a bit of a certain snobbery around certain data roles, um, which I does think is definitely fueled in mm-hmm. in academia. You know, it's very few, you get very few data engineering courses, but it's all about data science. And there does seem to be a bit of a hype around that, which I don't think is particularly helpful um, no. for either organizations or the people or the people. No. It's, I mean, you're so right. If I rewind two to three years, the amount of conversations that I had and I was sat in front of, you know, uh, some hiring manager in an organization, right? We're looking for a data scientist. Why? And they tell you, you don't really need a data scientist, to be honest with you. You know, you're just going to pay more than what you need to pay for the role that you've got. But there was kind of drawn in by this title and having them, um, and then, you know, over the last 12 to 18 months, what they've realized is they've gone out and they've, they've hired these great data scientists who are brilliant at building models, but, you know, they don't have a, the wider capability to get the data to where it needs to be for them to do their best work. So then there was this influx of, you know, ah, we need data engineers, right? And the data engineering thing yeah, yeah. became the next big thing. And uh, yeah. it's kind of, yeah, it, yeah. you know, it, and I, I just kind of feel it's going to, it'll just keep kind of revolutionizing itself over and over again as we go further down the line yeah i, th- I think it's beginning to balance out now because I, I agree say two or three three maybe three or four years ago data science was really booming but you're right it's actually what what everyone needed was data engineering uh, absolutely that was what was everyone wanted and that's what you needed was data engineering and actually in the last year or two years data engineering has now become that's what we actually need um so probably over the next two years, it's probably going to balance. I think we've, we've got quite a really good balance actually here in in Nightland, which is um, which is really good. But yes, it's um, I think it's really key whoever's leading the function in any organisation to be very very clear. It's almost about what they don't do rather than what they do do. Yeah, I think that's the key. You know, what what are you not doing as part of the end to end data journey? What are you what are you absolutely responsible for? What is your absolute goal? How do you fit in the organization? And what part of the data journey sits elsewhere and be very, very clear as to where that responsibility goes. It goes back to my, I guess, the banking analogy, you know, who owns what part of the money for this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Simon, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a fascinating and insightful conversation as always. So, um, yeah, if um, if anyone's kind of keen to reach out to you, because I know that there's a few people in the industry who are, trying to tackle this topic in terms of, you know, going speaking to universities around how they can maybe change their views on how they're doing things. Um, if there's anyone out there that kind of wants to put their head together with you, are you open for the people to kind of reach out? And if so, what's the, what's the best way? Yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, um, just drop me a LinkedIn message. I'm more than happy to, to, to pick it up. And um, yeah, well, thank you very much for inviting me. I hope I didn't ramble on too much. <laughs> no, we both see as we, we both get on the, data high horse yeah absolutely uh, wonderful thank you very much no problem all right well thank you very much simon it's great to speak to you and uh, yeah we'll do this again sometime that's great thanks, thanks. a lot Carl. take care Bye. that's it for this episode of driven by data the podcast i hope you enjoyed it 
I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow our Bishon Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back 